This morning, uh, we are continuing our series on uh, dwelling with Philippians. For those of you who are visiting, uh, we have been going through, there's a, a wonderful book that our denomination, I, can't, I think uh, the Calvin Institute for Christian Worship, I think, um, put out a number of years ago called Dwelling with Philippians. And uh, this sermon series is sort of rooted in uh, that book and how it looked at the scriptures um, and, uh, and put scripture and art and poetry and writing together uh, and, and seeing how uh, it is a message for us, particularly Athens Christian Reformed Church. Uh, it is also serving as a, as a bit of a... Um, a goodbye series uh, for for me, which I have mixed feelings about, I'm sure. Yeah. Anyways, um, so that is what we are doing. We are starting uh, today with um, God at work, looking at Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 to 18. Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 to 18. You can follow along, of course, uh, in your pew Bibles or on the screen here. Therefore, the scriptures say, My beloved, just as you have always obeyed me, remember that this is Paul writing this, and Paul writing it not because he's like an egomaniac and he's like, yeah, you obeyed me, right? That's the way it has to be. No, no, because Paul is acting as ambassador, as servant of Christ, apostle of Christ, and so they have obeyed him not in his flawed humanity, but obeyed him insofar as he taught them the gospel and taught them what the gospel was and is. And so they are living into that, right? So just as you have always obeyed me, not only in my presence, but much more now in my absence, what a testimony that is, right? Paul goes away from them and, and they continue on to obey the gospel that he taught them. And he, and he says, like, you're even doing it more now. Right? I taught you the gospel and then I go away and woohoo, way to go. Right? You are obeying the gospel. You are working out, and this is how it goes on, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. We're going to talk about that phrase, fear and trembling, because it's always one that, that, that can be a, a, a bit of a stumbling thing for us, right? Because we don't, yeah, we don't want to think that way sometimes. But anyways, Paul continues on, For it is God who is at work in you, enabling you both to will and to work for His good presence. You notice anything weird about that sentence? I mean, other than the fact that once again, Paul has a run-on sentence. What are we supposed to do? See the green circle? Work. We're working out our own salvation. For it is who? God who is at work in you. That's a little paradoxical, isn't it? Right? We work out our salvation in fear and trembling. That's what we're called to do. And it's God who's at work. Not really us. Anyway, we'll get to that a little bit more. Enabling you both to will and to work for His good pleasure. Do all things without murmuring and arguing so that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. Uh, Notice, okay, so this is 
We have to remember these things, right? So we shouldn't probably say, okay, a crooked and perverse generation and go to all kinds of different places than what Paul already talked about in contrast, right? So uh, I'm not sure that that made total sense. But anyways, notice, do all things without murmuring and arguing, so that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish, right? So being, behaving as God's children, behaving as God called you to, means, at least in part, not murmuring and arguing. And so the logical connection is to say that in this wicked, crooked, and perverse world, this perverse generation, that that. Specifically, what Paul is talking about is in contrast to that, uh, not, uh, that not murmuring and not complaining, not arguing, right? So the crooked and perverse generation is doing a lot of arguing and, and, and murmuring, right? Whereas the Philippians are called not to do so, okay? In which you shine, right, in this wicked, crooked, perverse generation, in which you shine like stars in the world. It is by your holding fast to the word of life that I can boast on the day of Christ that I did not run in vain or labor in vain, but even if I am being poured out as a libation over the sacrifice and the offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. And in the same way, you must also, you also must be glad and rejoice with me. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Right? This, this beautiful section where, where Paul talks about how we are to work out our salvation in fear and trembling. And at the same time, it is God who is working on, in us to, to will and to do for His good pleasure. And then this wonderful, wonderful paragraph where he talks about what it means to be Uh, the children of God, or at least what it means in part, because I mean, the whole gospel, the whole, the whole of scriptures helps to fill that out, right? You can't take it all in isolation, but, but, (laughs) but then God is not just saying this, of course, to the, the Gentiles whom he is ministering to in Philippi or who he's sending this letter to. He's also saying it to a bunch of Christian Reformed folks sitting in a pew in Athens, uh, Ontario. And so then we, we maybe hesitate for a moment. Uh, not that you have been a murmuring and arguing sort of bunch with me uh, that I have noticed particularly, but let's face it, we all have that tendency, right? To be a bit of a, you know, mumbler, complainer, arguer, so on. Right? Work out your own salvation. God is at work in you. I, I love this. Uh, you know I love Karl Barth. So this is from Karl Barth's epistle, uh, his commentary, as it were, on the epistle to the Philippians from 1947. The paradoxical nature of work out your own salvation and 
God is at work in you has been experienced in many ordinary and extraordinary lives. Jonah, Mary Magdalene, Moses, and in our own lives. In a sense, all of Scripture is a narrative on the nature of God's divine action in relationship to the actions of God's people. In, in, in theology, in seminary, we talk about when we're preaching, we need to make sure we use God-active language. That, that is, we talk about how we need to focus on what God is doing, what God has done, what God will do, who God is, because that is the center and the focus of our worship, of course. The beauty of our scriptural, uh, our scriptural narrative, our story, is that somehow, somehow, God works, but we are not just robots pulled along on the strings that God has put us on. We, we somehow have some choices to make. And so God's actions are constantly in dialogue with ours. Take, for example, Jonah, right? Jonah is told by God what? Go. Go to Nineveh. Right? Remembering that Nineveh is, uh, is sort of the capital city or one of the major cities in the Assyrian Empire. And these are bad people, according to the people of Israel. Because they're threatening and they're big and they're, they're uh, pagans and you know, so on and so forth. Right? They're, not good. Right? So Jonah <coughs> says, oh, no. I mean, he doesn't necessarily say that. He just decides to run away, of course. Have you seen the VeggieTales version? So good, right? Jonah was a prophet. But he never really got it. Sad but true. No? Anyways. What's that? Yeah, he did not get the point. Anyways, uh, that was the big musical number at the end. But anyways, um, so... Jonah didn't get it. And I love this painting, and I wish you could see it a little bit more clearly. Uh, this is by Peter Lassman, uh, Jonah and the Whale from 1621. And, and it, he is being spewed out of the fish. Uh, and I, you can't see it as well as I'd like you to, but he is terrified. He is scared out of his mind. Which makes sense. I, I mean, if I'm going along trying to run away from what God has told me to do and a huge storm comes up that threatens to destroy the boat and I end up going oh okay it's my fault just throw me overboard and then a large fish swallows me up and I am in the belly of that fish for a while and then vomited out on the shore I think I'd be terrified too right and, and this gets at something this gets us something that we forget sometimes. I mean, we live a life of pretty good privilege for the most part. We, we are safe and secure for the most part. We are doing relatively well financially for the most part. Uh, most of us are educated um, in, in a relative degree compared to what the rest of the world is. Uh, we, we have so many, we, we are allowed to worship in freedom. Um, so many things that are great, right? But we forget that obeying or not obeying God is not a small thing. It is not a little thing. 
right? God, God is not saying, and just like God did not say to Jonah, God did not say to Jonah, if you don't go there, I will not love you anymore. That's not what God said to Jonah. In fact, God is so extraordinarily patient with Jonah, right? But it's not a, bit, it's not a small thing for Jonah to not obey God. Right? Jonah says no, and God says, uh, <laughs> love you, man, but no is not an option. You are going to do this. And, and so this is part of that working out our fear, our salvation in fear and trembling. Remembering who God is. Remembering that God is not only the God who created all things, who sustains all things, who keeps them going every moment of every day, but also that that God reaches into our lives in a regular, constant way, and He is not to be trifled with. Not because He will stop loving you. Not because He's that kind of God. But because He loves you. And He is going to draw you along to grow up. And you don't mess with a God who loves you. And is going to help you to grow up whether you want to or not. Because it's probably not going to be comfortable to do so, to put it mildly. This is from Eugene H. Peterson's book, right? The same fellow who uh, wrote the translation, The Message, right? Um, This is from his book, Christ Plays in 10,000 Places. And he says, fear of the Lord, which he sort of, you know, hyphenates to to... to indicate that it's one concept, one, one idea, right? Fear of the Lord is a new word in our vocabularies. It marks the way of life appropriate for, to our creation and salvation and blessing by God. He goes on to say, Fear of the Lord is not a technique for acquiring spiritual know-how, but a willed non-knowing. Fear of the Lord, nurtured in worship and prayer, silence and quiet, love and sacrifice, turns everything we do into a life of breathing God. I mentioned earlier that I, I like Karl Barth, and, and uh, he, he, I'm really going to paraphrase because uh, yeah, Barth, one of the things he doesn't do is write in very accessible language for anybody at all. But anyways, one of the things, one of the things he, he sort of talks about in his church dogmatics is, is the concept of ethics, right? The, the sort of the study of what's right and wrong in any given circumstance or, you know, morality and, and the application thereof and so on. And, and he, he, he questions whether or not it is good for human beings to study ethics, sort of, Right? He questions whether or not this is a good thing. Why? He says, did I say this to you last week, by the way? I'm not repeating myself, am I? Okay. All right. He says, um, he says, think about it. What was the tree that Adam and Eve were forbidden to eat of in the, in the Garden of Eden? The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. What, what is knowledge of good and evil other than ethics? Right? 
And then he, he, he go on, goes on and he says, you know, Satan, Satan points out to them, in, in fact, Satan says to them, oh, don't worry about it. You will be like God, knowing the difference between good and evil. Right? Okay, 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 wait a second. Uh, isn't it good to know what is good and bad and do the good? Isn't that good? But wait a second, you fast forward to Jesus, you look at the Gospel of John especially, and Jesus says over and over and over again that He does nothing apart from the will of His Father. That He's always doing everything that He does in perfect obedience to the Father. In fact, we, we say that He learned obedience, obedience even unto death, even unto death on the cross. And so Bart says, Jesus wasn't sitting there analyzing what was right and what was wrong, but rather, Jesus was living in close, very close, intimate, perfect relationship with the Father and was doing instead the will of the Father. It just so happens that Jesus doing the will of the Father has very similar results in some ways to you or I doing the right thing. But the motivation is completely different. And so Bart goes on to say that really what we ought to be asking ourselves as Christ followers is what is God's will for us? What is God's will for us? Not just in the big picture, but right, right now the next moment and the next moment, right? And we should, instead of trying to independently figure out the right and the wrong, we should probably be in community and in connection with the Scriptures and in the guidance of the Holy Spirit and with the example of Jesus, we should be figuring out what is God's will. And this is what Peterson is talking about when he says a willed non-knowing. It is saying, I am going to set aside my knowingness, which can so easily be a form of arrogance and pride and independence from God. I am going to set that aside and place myself in obedience to God. And that also is a fearful thing. Remember when I had Eli up here a few weeks ago and I asked him if he trusted me and he said yeah and he really did trust me probably a little too much because at one point he, we were doing a trust exercise and he fell backwards when I wasn't ready for him and I almost dropped him on the ground. Um, but it, right, placing yourself completely into the hands of someone else is a fearsome thing. Especially for people who have willingly, for thousands upon thousands of years, chosen to rebel against giving their lives completely and wholly over to that other being. But of course, it doesn't end there, right? It doesn't end in simply the fear. It doesn't simply end with, okay, you have to live lives of obedience because God's not messing around. He loves you. He's going to grow you up. It's not, that's not where it ends, right? It, it, it keeps on going, right? 
it says, like Paul says, you shine like stars in the world. You know that you're made out of stardust, right? Did you know that? It's true, right? Pretty much all of the matter in the universe of which we are made is spewed out from stars, protons and neutrons and electrons and all that stuff. It comes out of the vomit of stars. <laughs> and, and so that's what comes to Earth and all kinds of other places, and that eventually is what we are formed out of. And so, you know, in a way, you are stardust. But also, in a more important way, you shine like stars in the world. And this, of course, is Vincent van Gogh's painting, uh, The Starry Night. And, and it is beautiful. It's interesting because... Um, Vincent van Gogh seemed to have a pretty complicated relationship with faith. I mean, you know perhaps uh, the story of, of how he, he cut off one of his own years. He really struggled with mental health, um, depression, and so on, uh, although he wouldn't have been diagnosed in that way. Um, but he really struggled. And, and, and so this painting is interesting because there's, uh, I mean, it's beautiful, of course, but there's a church right here. In pretty much the center of the painting, there is a church there. And, and the church, unlike the other buildings, all the other buildings are kind of nondescript. They kind of sort of just blend in a little bit. But the church seems to kind of radiate sort of its own glow, similar to the skies above, to the stars and the sky. Maybe Van Gogh ended up not being a believer or maybe his relationship was always super complicated but I can so see you in those stars beautiful glowing orbs of light the light of God shining through you this is what uh, this is what William H.M.H. H. Aitken, that's a lot of middle names, um, said in 1847, or, well, no, sometime during his lifetime, don't know exact date, uh, in the prayer at eventide. O Lord, take our minds and think through them. God, think through our minds. Take our lips and speak through them. Take our lives and live out your life. Take our hearts and set them on fire with love for Thee. And guide us ever by Thy Holy Spirit. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Think through my brain. Speak through my mouth. Live through my life. Set me on fire with love. One of the things Paul goes in on to say is to encourage them to hold fast to the word of life. I, I like um, both of these things. Uh, this poem by uh, Carl P. Daw Jr., Beyond the Beauty and the Awe. Right? Because the awe, the fear, the, the reality of who God is and the scope and scale of that is, is one part. But there is also many other, there are many other parts. Beyond the beauty and the awe, beyond the fear and the dread, we long, O oh God, to hear your word, to taste 
your transformed bread. Our lives feel torn between the world whose needs are grimly real and empty talk of peace and joy with distant, vague appeal. Oh, teach us how to hear your voice despite the traffic's din, to keep the blasts of rancor out and let your spirit in. In sound or silence, sight or smell, may we some token find that makes your living presence known body, soul, and mind. Then help us live as Jesus taught, as light and salt and yeast, that others may be brought to share your promise and your your feast. This painting here is entitled, How Can I Help? And it's by um, Randy Boomer. I'm not sure I'm saying that right. if you notice, there there is um, like a couple of people standing over here, and, and there's like a, a rift, a, a valley between them, sort of. And obviously, this person is is upset. This person has sort of a, a sympathetic or empathetic look on their face. Um, and and down here, you can see a Christ figure. You can't see it as well on the screen as you can um, in a in a better screen, uh, better display, uh, but that is a, a Christ-like figure who's bleeding from his side, who's holding up his hands to support them and bring them together. And, and you, can, you can almost hear the, the title of the, the painting, How Can I Help, being said by the one person to the other uh, on the upper level, but you can also see Jesus himself doing the helping even through them during their time of trouble. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of life that you have been given. That God has come in Jesus Christ to help you in ways that you could never help yourself. And then God says, Go and do the same in my name. God at work, right? Because ultimately this is all always all about God, right? God is at work. This prayer from the church in Wales, uh, prayers encircling the world from 1998, God the sender, send us. God the sent, that was supposed to be God, not God. God the sent, come with us. God the strengthener of those who go, empower us that we may go with you and find those who will call you Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This, I thought this, this sculpture here was uh, just like, I don't know, a, a scouring brush or, or a... Or a anemone that was painted weird or something. I don't know. I didn't know what it was. But, um, and it's hard to see, but these white things are all little miniature people. They're all figurines of people standing on, and you can sort of maybe make this out. This is like, um, this is like Florida here, and this is like South America, and this is like, so they're standing on the world, right? This whole, this whole you know, 
crop of people standing in all parts of the world. And, and it's, entitled, it's entitled island. Right? It emphasizes that we are here on this tiny island of life in our solar system as far as we know uh, for all we know in this whole galaxy for all we know in this whole universe we are here all of these people on this tiny little island of life that God has given us let us be together let us love one another let us serve one another let us be sent to one another so we can find those who will call you Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Brothers and sisters, God has already done so many things to grow not just you, but but this whole church. This this whole church has it as it has been all the way along. Some of, the, some of the things that we had to learn along the way are difficult, and no doubt we will have to learn difficult things again. But God has done good things and continues to do good things. Let us work out our salvation in fear and trembling, even as God is at work in us. Let us pray. Dear God, thank you so much for your love for us. Thank you so much that you do not leave us in our state, our brokenness, our alienation, our separation from one another and from you. But instead that you call us, you gather us into your presence, you adopt us as children of God. Now, O God, as your children. Continue to send us out that we may work out our salvation in fear and trembling even as you work in us to do and to will according to your good pleasure. Help us, O God, to not murmur or argue against one another or the people of this world, but instead to serve them and serve you just as you, Jesus, did. Guide us in all of this, we pray, that we may live lives obedient to you. In Jesus' name.